Hello and welcome from me, Ian Gregg. And me, Alison Gregg. Bringing you this episode of the Living Word podcast for week 16. It's still the Easter season. Not much left of my Easter egg. I haven't started mine yet. And there are still hot cross buns in the freezer. I'm never quite sure where the Easter bunny and Easter eggs fit into the story. I get that Easter eggs hatching is a picture of new life. And the Easter bunny? Well, not sure about that one. But you could say chocolate reminds us that God is a generous giver of goodness. That's the backdrop to the theme for this week, which is about Jesus and his resurrection and what it means for us. I'm not an expert on world religions, but I can't think of any religion which is about a person you can know and have a conversation with. Some Eastern religions have the idea of being reborn as a different person, a better or worse situation in life according to how you lived before that's, or something. That, that's <laughs> karma, isn't it? Um, remember the time when people used to follow the hippie trail to India? They thought Eastern religion and karma was attractive. I think it has similarities with the idea of medieval religion, which is all about living a good life, doing penance for what is a bad life, and so earning favour with God. Hmm. The idea of earning favour appeals to us because actually much of life is like this and we understand it. But it isn't the way that God works and I'm so grateful for that. <laughs> well, he can't do the earning and he just does the giving. The catch, as some would see it, is that we have no control. We have to leave it all up to God. We have to trust him. It reminds me of this verse of the traditional hymn, There is a Green Hill Far Away. There was no other good enough to pay the price of sin. He only could unlock the gate of heaven and let us in. There's a lot of the good news. In fact, a lot of the Bible condensed into just those four lines. They emphasise that we don't do it. We can't be good enough. But Jesus has done it. And there's something else in this memorable verse that we may not have seen before. Well, I didn't see it before. If Jesus unlocks the gate of heaven and lets us in, then he must be alive and active. The first disciples thought they'd seen a ghost. Well, until Jesus came and ate with them. Ghosts are supposed to do scary things. But it seems Jesus appeared to do reassuring things. As he does day by day for those who know him. And that gives us the title of this week's story. What keeps Christians joyful? They know that Jesus is alive. Hello, it's Ian Gregg here with this week's story in The Living Word, which, as you probably know, aims to encourage you with faith, but free from the faff. So whatever Christian background you have, or none, this is theologically neutral and doesn't lean to any particular religious tradition. This week, we're thinking about Jesus' resurrection under the simple but profound title, Jesus is alive. That's a matter for rejoicing, whatever is going on in your life. There are probably Christians now in Russia who've been arrested and imprisoned for no reason, and Jesus is alive and close. He knows all about false testimony. 
You may be suffering rejection from those close to you, or in a work situation, or perhaps a difficult neighbourhood. Do you know what? Jesus is alive, and he is with you and listening. Maybe things are going well for you. Praise God for that. But knowing that Jesus is alive and that you belong to him gives you an inner joy and peace that others will pick up. Someone will want to know where it comes from. That's a door that's open for you to share Jesus with them. This is going to be an even more than usually encouraging episode. As we start with David's poetic and also prophetic Psalm 16, we can hear Jesus in these words. I keep my eyes always on the Lord. With him at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead, nor will you let your faithful one see decay. You make known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. We can see how these words were prophetic of Jesus, Son of God and Messiah, and how death could not hold him. The same Holy Spirit that we can invite to live within us is the one whose power brought a tortured corpse into a new resurrection body and the path of life. Now, in this resurrection season story, we'll go on to be with the disciples as they encountered Jesus again, clearly alive and in a new body following his death on the cross. But they're not joyful at this point. They are sticking together, fearful, and hiding behind locked doors. They know that the religious leaders who put Jesus to death will be looking for his followers. Having watched that terrible suffering, having experienced it remotely, they are anything but peaceful. Jesus knows exactly how they are feeling as he almost bursts in without needing to open the door and stands among them. And then he does a strange thing. People still debate exactly what it meant, but what he did moved them from fear to faith, as we hear in the tone of these words from John 20. On the evening of that first day of the week, when the disciples were together, with the doors locked for fear of the Jewish leaders, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. After he said this, he showed them his hands and his side. The disciples were overjoyed when they saw the Lord. Again, Jesus said, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. If you forgive anyone's sins, their sins are forgiven. If you do not forgive them, they are not forgiven. Now, Thomas, also known as Didymus, one of the twelve, was not with the disciples when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, 
unless I see the nail marks in his hands, and put my finger where the nails were, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. A week later, his disciples were in the house again, and Thomas was with them. Though the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here. See my hands. Reach out your hand and put it into my side. Stop doubting and believe. Thomas said to him, My Lord and my God. Then Jesus told him, Because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Much has been made of Thomas, who missed Jesus' earlier appearance. He thought, perhaps not unreasonably, that the others, working through their post-traumatic stress, had seen a ghost. Now Jesus appears again. He ministers his peace to them again and gently encourages Thomas. He doesn't criticise him or put him down or give him a bad mark for doubting at first. The truth is... They none of them knew what to believe or what to make of events which were way past their experience and comprehension. And Jesus lovingly meets them where they are. Their faith had taken some hard knocks. They needed courage and boldness because he is still their Lord and they are his apostles, his sent out ones who will go far and wide. A time will shortly come when tongues of flame will set them alight spiritually but for now, what they need is an initial impartation, a kind of spiritual priming to get them out of their self-imposed isolation and telling others the powerful story of what they had seen. Jesus breathed on them, holy breath, holy spirit, same word, and he gives them spiritually what they need to move on from their anger at the evil and falsehood that they had witnessed. They needed the enabling, the capacity to forgive. There's a lesson for us right there. If we are holding unforgiveness, then that resentment is holding us. And we cannot function spiritually until we have repented and found the capacity to love again. That applies no matter what the injustice may have been. Jesus had taught them as we forgive those that trespass against us, which is hard to do, but it is sin not to do. It's a really common scenario. Forgiving unconditionally is the last thing we want to do, but the Holy Spirit's love, the same as God's unconditional love of us, can enable us to bless those who have hurt us. This Initial spiritual impartation also prepared the disciples for the much greater outpouring that was to come. An illustration of this is the new sponge which comes out of the packet, dry and hard. You put it under the tap and at first it will shed water. 
but give it just a little soak and it becomes soft and able to do what sponges do and absorb a whole lot more. The disciples needed that initial softening, an anointing, if you like, that would set them on the path of emotional healing and able to receive in the thunderstorm-like outpouring that would shortly come. The scene now moves forward to that time as Peter, the former gruff and very practical fisherman, is cast in a new role as a spirit-filled preacher. This is following the roaring wind and tongues of flame of the Pentecost outpouring of the Holy Spirit. Thousands of pilgrims had formed a throng as they gathered for the festival, never expecting this to happen. They had heard the disciples praising God, recognising their own dialect languages in the hubbub. Someone had to explain what was going on. It fell to Peter, disgraced and then restored by the Lord and charged with being the shepherd of these rather excited sheep. Quoting Psalm 16, which we heard earlier, a passage that would have been familiar to the Jewish pilgrims, he explains, this is that which had been foretold centuries before. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs, which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge. And you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest in hope, because you will not abandon me to the realm of the dead. You will not let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence. Fellow Israelites, I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried, and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was to come, he spoke of the resurrection of the Messiah, that he was not abandoned to the realm of the dead, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of it. This is not just about Jesus. It's about God's plan concerning Jesus, allowing him to suffer agony and death, and then raising him to new life. And, as Peter said, and we are all witnesses of it. Peter's message, like many other snatches of preaching in the early church, was about Jesus and about his miraculous resurrection. This is not like any religion, 
because it is not like a religion. Some have made it so, making Christianity a doing exercise about following the example of a former holy person. But that misses the point by a mile. We are not just remembering the good deeds of a past person. We experience joy in continuing good deeds of a very much alive and close to us present person, one who enables us to live for him. We don't seek to follow a past example because his spirit in us and his presence with us turns us into a living example. The early believers, followers of the way of Jesus, were mockingly branded Christians, which means little Christs or little anointed ones. The derogative slur was not altogether unfair. There was truth in it. The Holy Spirit transformed believers continued the ministry and mission of the one they took their nickname from. They had begun to resemble him and to do the things that he had done. They were unusually capable, and this gave rise to jealousy and persecution. But they remained joyful. Theirs was not just a religious affectation they could be persuaded to change. It was new life for them in a relationship with a living person who was with them, who was their strength in every trial. As the old saying goes, it's not what you know, but who you know. A generation later, Peter was writing to encourage and teach those in the rapidly expanding churches, as we hear now in this extract from the beginning of his first letter. Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In his great mercy, he has given us new birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead and into an inheritance that can never perish, spoil or fade. This inheritance is kept in heaven for you, who through faith are shielded by God's power until the coming of the salvation that is ready to be revealed in the last time. In all this you greatly rejoice, though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. These have come so that the proven genuineness of your faith, of greater worth than gold which perishes even though refined by fire, may result in praise, glory and honour when Jesus Christ is revealed. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And even though you do not see him now, you believe in him and are filled with an inexpressible and glorious joy. For you are receiving the end result of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Peter returns to his favourite theme, the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. It was an experience that gave him a lifelong, arresting memory. Peter, you may remember, was one of the first to reach the newly empty tomb. John, much younger, outran him and got there first. Then Peter stooped and looked in and saw the linen cloths by themselves. Peter just never stopped telling the story. It was the fact that stood tall and central for him. 
Jesus, who was dead, is now alive and can be known, which is how we come to know God personally ourselves nearly 2,000 years later. The new birth has not changed. The living hope through Jesus' resurrection has not changed. The inheritance from final salvation has never changed. Believing in Jesus and receiving the joy that wells up in us has not changed. Jesus has not changed. The Bible tells us elsewhere that Jesus is the same yesterday, today and forever. However, our world has changed. Points of reference have faded and become indistinct. Just a few years can confront us with changes that are unsettling and even frightening. It's far better to place our trust in what can be trusted, the promised inheritance of an eternal heavenly life and the day-to-day -day conversation of friendship with the Lord of Lords never changes. It grows stronger and we become bolder in sharing it because Jesus is alive. So why don't you join me in a prayer now as I pray for us. Jesus, my Lord and my God, you lived on earth and shared our life, but unlike us, sin never caused you to stumble. Unlike us, you were perfectly filled with the Holy Spirit. And on our behalf, you suffered a horrific Roman execution and then were seen alive and engaging with your disciples on the third day and afterwards. Thank you for holding out the offer of spiritual regeneration and new life. Thank you for being with us in our lives now. Thank you that our human need to worship is not left imitating the example of someone who was, but is fully satisfied in the relationship and close fellowship of someone who is. Amen. May the Lord bless you as you hear Jesus say to you, Peace be with you. That's from John 20 and verse 19. Well, thank you so much for listening and I look forward to being with you next time in a week's time. Until then, may God be close to you and bless you and yours. See you soon.